Welcome to Season 2 of the Just for a Change podcast, powered by the Bertha Center for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship. We love hearing and sharing stories about social innovation happening both locally and outside our borders in the Global South. In Season 2, we put the spotlight on the changemakers behind some incredibly innovative approaches and solutions that are creating systemic change. And we're also curious to find out what keeps them going. Join us as we discover how these change makers are changing the way we're changing the world. It feels just like yesterday that we did our wrap up episode of season one, Simni. Yeah, I agree, Fergus. Uh, not so long ago, we were recording and now we're doing the wrap up for season two. And I'm just curious to hear from you what were some of your favorite episodes and takeouts from season two? Certainly, my favorite takeouts has less to do with a particular episode and more to do with the grounded and consistent approach to asking deeper questions about the work we do and recognizing that I think fundamentally for Bertha Center, this podcast is as much a platform for ourselves to deepen the understanding of our work by sharing with our audience. And in a sense, um, I feel like. The Just for a Change podcast is a living example of social innovation from the inside out. Yeah, I I share the same sentiments, Fergus. Uh, It's hard for me to choose one specific episode because they were all equally important and good for thought. Um, I must say, though, there was one that came out, not to say that it was above all the other episodes, but it was the episode around recognizing the complexity of people's stories. And the focus was on empathic advocacy. And for me, it was also just um, the conversation around the multiple narratives that people have. In preparation for this episode, as we reflected on some of the topics we covered in season two, we identified some building blocks that enable social innovation and entrepreneurship in the global south. And today, we'd like to share three of them with you. I think for me, first and foremost, what jumped out as a building block is recognizing the human side of development and the role of people in systems change. For example, in episode two, we looked at the case for empathic advocacy, which is putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and being able to recognize the complexity of people's stories. I'm just reminded of the interview with Zenith Hendricks of Rape Crisis, who've worked in, with many different individuals to be able to tell their stories and highlight particular issues. Absolutely. Um, yeah, very important to mention, I think I mentioned it earlier, is about community. Um, and I think that what I've realized in my space um, was that I was not the one that was going to bring, you know, the answers. I was not the one who was going to create best strategy and you know the most creative one even um and so again like i i will say this that looking inward and really looking at the people who do the work um on the ground who we we can call activists um you know social activists they are the ones who hold the knowledge they're also the ones who hold the context and they've got the on the ground experience and i think often in in our space and even in the non-profit space we kind of overlook that um you know, we don't acknowledge the fact that these people who do the work on the ground, they, you know, they, they hold so much knowledge and expertise. 
Um, and, and where's the loop to bring that back into the organization? The loop that Zenat is referring to is at once so elusive and in many instances, and at least in my experience, it has to do with the way that our organizational practices may tend towards over-institutionalizing and over-organizing the work when the work has to do with people and their experience and the emergent experience of people in social settings. And, you know, a, a cornerstone of systems work when it comes to socioeconomic justice issues is trusting and focusing on the experience as being the leading input to however it is we are choosing to make sense of a particular issue. What are your thoughts on that, Simi? Yeah, I must say um, what stands out for me uh, from hearing Zenit share was the recognition of the community as well as the as people's experiences and looking at people on the ground who are actually doing the work, who are doing the activist work and realizing that set of knowledge and skill that's coming from the individuals in those communities is very valuable. Another episode that probably spoke to this human element, building block and social innovation, episode 11's Positive Outlook segment. Greetings to everyone listening. Um, so my name is Tando, the co-founder of Estratuene Mobile Foods that we started 2016. 200 trends that we borrowed from my sister and my business partner. So Estratuene happened when we resigned from our previous job that we were working for an organization. So mostly for us to resign because we wanted to start our own organization, but checking out that it's hard to get the funds. So we had to start something because both of um, me and my business partner, we uneducated, we didn't even have our grade 12 and everything. So it was so hard to be employed. So we had to start selling muffins on the street um, in the morning at taxi rent and everything. So that's how mostly Estratoy Mobile Foods um, started 2016 with only 200 rands. It was so encouraging to hear how helpful Solution Space has been for them and just emphasize the fact that young entrepreneurs from the global south need access not only to skills development and training, technologies and seed funding support, but crucially also to spaces like innovation hubs to support them in their entrepreneurial journeys. Um, I think for me, I would say this was the greatest opportunity ever in a lifetime for, for us. Um, our background, as I said, we're not educated. Um, I didn't even finish my grade 12 and now this is a, pro a program that is done by UCT. You know, I'm just a boy that was like sitting in the corner in the township and you by the way, like UCT itself, it makes you to be scared when you hear enough for a guy that even never went to college. And one thing for me that I've learned and that has helped us to uh, shape our business is that you don't only learn about your the product. I've learned a lot of things that we still use, that we still even implement in our business even now. Some of the things, they even make much sense um, like now. And for us, like 
we are the first um, um, takeaway or the food business that has established a brand that resonates with everyone in the township that you can even set it up even if you go to Jobback. I think for us, um, Solution Space has helped us to set up or to build like a brand. So we've set a brand more than just being the guys that 2016 now we're selling like on, on the street. You know, just hearing Tando Mavmengwana speak about his story of when they started Estradweni Mobile Foods, that reminds me of episode 10, which covered the role of women in the health investment space. Dr. Andrea Feigelding's advice for women working in the space of driving social investment for health was quite impactful. And once again, it shows the importance of the people aspect in systems change. I would like to echo the notion of perseverance and and add to it by saying we should also not be afraid to lean on each other, not just to lean in, but to lean on each other because sometimes it can get lonely as a woman in leadership and finance. So these are two areas where there is a dearth of women. Leadership that we see, 95% of, I believe, community healthcare workers are women, but only um, like less than half of uh, leadership in global health are represented by, by female leaders. So um, we, you know, we have a double or triple burden of uh, being the first, being few, and also being a role model. And, um, and then also don't be afraid to also include men in your support, because I found that some of the strongest support in in being a female leader and, and, and shows of confidence have actually come from men who said, no, you can do this as well. So I think it's not just a, a women issue. It's also an issue where we can, um, uh, you know, uh, seek support across the gender spectrum. The second building block that presented itself throughout season two was creating systems and structures that enable change. The reality is that innovating on a systemic level is essential to drive change and give us new ways of doing things. In episode one, we delve deeper into the role of collaboration in innovation by specifically looking at the Social Innovation in Health Initiative, also known as SciHi. SciHi is neither a formal partnership nor is it a funding body. Instead, it is a network of passionate individuals and institutions combining their skills and resources in support of key activities to promote social innovation in health. The places where I work are one of the most remote areas in, in my country. Um, and it is, it is very interesting, the, the contrast between like the, the city and the, their health problems and the, the rural areas and this remoteness uh, that has led to, to, to have uh, various uh, complications from preventable disease like diarrhea or, or malaria uh, and it's it's so amazing to see that technology gives a great opportunity for these rural areas to to at least get some somewhat closer to what uh, you know developed cities could have in terms of um, medical services you know, Listening to Manuel speak on uh, access and creating an opportunity to bridge the gap and bring innovations into healthcare where a lot of people wouldn't necessarily have those services is also one of the ways 
in which um, we're learning across the global south on services and innovation and how it can impact communities as well as bring knowledge uh, when we when one is working with a rural setting as well as being in an academic setting. Something that stood out during season two, uh, and that is systems change, that it's crucial because the existing systems that are responsible for delivering the progress we need are simply not up to the task. And in episode four, when we discussed entrepreneurship as a catalyst for systems change, we chatted to Ayanda Tuba, an RAA alumni who launched lifestyle marketing tourism startup. Uh, which is called the ABCD concept, and it's based in the heart of Kailicha. Um, and here's what he had to say about the role of entrepreneurship in our communities and how it acts as a system catalyzer. For the best part, I think independence is one of the biggest things that everyone like strives for. Um, I really feel that at a certain age, we always aspire to have control. And for most of us, having that opportunity to just kickstart your idea or start a business gives you some kind of an independent feeling where in our communities where a lot of people are highly reliant on jobs, um, whether it's in government, whether it's in the public sector, you being able to create for yourselves gives you that room to not only create something that's meaningful for yourself, but also something that in the end of the day gets shared with your community and just kickstart a process of inspiring other young people. So I just believe entrepreneurship as a whole gives us as township dwellers the opportunity to really start putting the building blocks to reshaping our societies. When it comes to solving large systemic issues like youth unemployment, we know that more jobs or more employers are not necessarily going to cut it. It's important, but what's more important is, uh, is, is, is what is our role in supporting, highlighting, illuminating change makers like Ayanda, such that more young people might find a way of connecting to his and others like him, to their story, and contributing towards a wave of uh, uh, change in attitude, really, systemic change in how we address, understand uh, youth unemployment um, in this country. The Global Steering Group for Impact Investment, also known as GSG, is a global organization that catalyzes impact investment and entrepreneurship to benefit people and planet. They bring together leaders from finance, business, and philanthropy to solve some of the world's most pressing social and environmental challenges. The GSG advocates for each country working on its own system, but with collaboration, mutual support, and shared learning so that every country can flourish. I think then this almost brings us to our last question. And, and Debuch, I'd like to start with you and your reflections. What were some of your highlights and most impactful learnings that came out of the summit? Um, I suppose the, the, the biggest highlights for me was um, the fact that globally, this is becoming more mainstream. As Mutsawa says, and we 100% share that view that this is becoming more mainstream. Uh, a very big piece of work, and, and we are part of uh, this task force, um, is work being done under the Secretariat of the GSG, which is looking at uh, transparency, integrity, and harmonization of, of impact measurement, um, and trying to, to set a global standard 
that you know local advocates need to kind of push in their own environments. And really, this is around uh, from finance ministers to policymakers to regulators to stock exchange regulators, standard setters, all uh, harmonizing around what is impact, uh, give integrity to impact measures, ensure that there's sufficient transparency around them, whether it is around mandatory disclosures or whatever it is, and then making sure there's this harmonization so that as an investor, whether I'm looking at a company in Kenya, I'm looking at a company in Ghana, I'm looking at a company in South Africa, on, on impact measures, like for like, I'm looking at that a company in Turkey, etc. And so for me, it was quite a highlight to see that conversation really gathering momentum. It was very much a, a focal point of what we're doing. Another example that spoke to the second building block of creating systems and structures that enable change was in episode nine, where we discovered more about blended finance. And um, the guests really helped me in understanding, and I'm sure for many of our listeners as well, um, understanding about the approach to mobilizing finance partnerships for development. Yeah, I think Tain is really making an important point. Um, so it starts it really understanding the market in which we invest. And quite a lot of impact investors uh, work from the United States or work from Europe. But in order to be successful and to really support local economies, you need to have feet on the ground. So, for example, in West Africa, we do have local investment managers in, in Freetown, in Bamako, in Ouagadougou, uh, that on a monthly basis visit the enterprises that we support and, and, and consequently they know the local context and they know the needs of the enterprise and, and can truly support that. So that is one of the lessons that we have learned. Proximity, have your feet on the ground in order to support those enterprises. You know, when I look at what we highlighted when it comes to the building blocks of creating systems and structures and structures that enable change. This piece for me makes me realize what's been highlighted when you taking when you take those steps as an investment manager to actually go and see what is happening and not just maybe make plans sitting far away, but to to take that initiative to be part of the process. Um, and go and visit the places where you are investing in. Our last building block uh, that we'll be talking about today um, in enabling social innovation and entrepreneurship in the global south is what we call small shifts that need to change. Meaning innovation can sometimes mistakenly be seen as a quick fix. Uh, And in reality, however, it is a slow and steady change over time that drives sustainability. Well said, Simnikiwe. It immediately makes me think of episode three, where we chatted about Youth Capital's action plan, a plan that prioritizes 10 systemic challenges that need to be addressed to ensure that young South Africans have the skills, opportunities, and support to get their first decent job. Sure. So I think the whole point of youth capital's existence is to start thinking about youth unemployment in this systems uh, angle approach. You know, we can't think about youth unemployment as simply creating jobs or getting the economy to grow. Um, 
or just educating young people. Young people are on a journey. They're living beings. They face many systemic issues. And unless we look at that with a systems lens and take all those factors into account from healthcare to education um, to basic living conditions and access to transport and data, um, unless we take that lens, we, we really are going to continue to miss the point um, and we're going to continue to see youth unemployment rising. So youth capital really takes into consideration the challenges that young people face from their living conditions to data and transport. And what I really um, like about this, this approach is that it's not only just looking at a challenge on its own, it's looking at all these building blocks that make young people not be at their best or achieve the things they want to achieve. And so in episode seven, Kayla Baird touched on something powerful as well that emphasizes this notion of small shifts that lead to change. Have you ever thought about the impact of song lyrics on the way we think about consent, for example? I think that it's dangerous to assume that any kind of conversation around consent exists separate from anything else. Uh, I think consent is present in our everyday conversation, our everyday interactions. And people who are listening to rap, people who are listening to music, or generally, it's not like they're not having sex. It's not like they're not engaging with other people. Um, so when you talk about consent, it, it, it's everywhere. Um, it's the way that you engage with people. It's the way that you engage with the content that you're engaging with. It's about people who are creating that content, people who are listening to that content. And so I think when it comes down to it, popular culture like music is one of the most effective ways to talk to the youth, which leads back to what Demelo was saying, kind of very beginning of this conversation. You can't have these conversations, you know, in ivory castles, sitting in armchairs and philosophizing about how we're going to fix these issues. You need to be talking to young people directly. They are the ones making the decisions. They are the ones living these experiences. So making use of TV shows, making use of music, making use of social media to have these conversations, to unpack these ideas, it's really the only way that we're going to be making any kind of long-lasting change. I also enjoyed hearing from Dr. Phyllis Dapojeke in episode one on how small changes, like simply doing something in an unconventional way in the health sector, can lead to big impact. So for those of us who find ourselves, so you, you mentioned Accra, located within low to middle income countries. Um, so we are burdened with lots of diseases, especially diseases of poverty. Uh, we can also talk about issues regarding maternal and child health care. And even in some cases, the healthcare systems themselves are deficient. Uh, what we have realized over the years, uh, and I keep reflecting, asking myself, uh, when I consider the Millennium Development Goals, for instance, and our inability to attain a lot of the health-related goals, uh, then we are reminded that if we do things the ordinary way, it's going to be difficult for us to achieve the health targets that we have. So in a country wherein we have tuberculosis as an issue, malaria as an issue, maternal and child health care as an issue, doing things the ordinary way, pushing interventions, using just the ordinary health system structures becomes very difficult. And the interesting bit is that once you start getting into the innovation, you realize that there are already people on the ground who are passionate and are doing things to push interventions into the hands of 
uh, marginalized populations and CHI just gives you the platform to identify such people, to create, to create some visibility for them, to support them. So the reflection around small shifts that lead to change is also a reminder that when uh, a system receives a big change or a shock, uh, that often uh, doesn't necessarily lead to the sustaining of a change. That doesn't lead to the genuine transformation of that sector or that issue. And so what's being reflected here is the importance of small lever points, small uh, uh, places of intervention that have that kind of transformational effect, not because it's big or it's large or it's impressive or it's well thought out, but because it, it, it pinpoints a section of the health system that genuinely affects the behavior and attitudes of many different actors or roles and routines in that particular issue. I don't know about you, Fergus, but hearing from such incredible change makers in season two, just for a change was humbling and inspiring. And as I reflect about season two, I think about our focus on the global south and how that has also made me realize um, the importance of collaborations when one is having conversations and uh, the opportunity to um, to create change and the power of empathy as well uh, in what we do and how we go about doing that. And as someone who is involved in the youth portfolio within the Bertha Center, I also realize the importance of um, youth voices as well as the shift and the holistic approach in which these organizations are trying to create uh, meaningful change uh, from a systemic point of view. Yes, we're on the same page, Simni. It's really been an insightful season. And uh, what I really appreciate um, about being part of the Bertha Center is that there's a variety and at the same time, a deep commitment to engagement and being very uh, critical and collaborative about who and what we engage in. And so that, 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 that variety uh, doesn't take away from our commitment on a day-to-day basis to really challenging ourselves and uh, going in it together with our partners, our peers. And um, this season really, you know, uh, in closing, really just uh, fundamentally showcases that and is such a um, exercise in reflecting at how broad um, and diverse the experiences um, are um, in the world and in our work. Super. And on that note, I'm just so excited. Uh, I'm excited that we'll be back for another season of the Just for a Change podcast, which will be kicking off soon. We're looking forward to introducing some new conversations. I'm particularly interested in our growing focus at the Birth Centre on climate justice, which is essentially the centering of socioeconomic issues and concerns in the movement towards greater climate action globally. If you're interested to know where the Birth Centre is headed in the next five years, 
be sure to find the five-year strategy on the website homepage. The link is also in the show notes. If you missed any of season two's episodes, you can easily catch up and listen to the Just for a Change podcast on all major podcasting platforms. Thank you for tuning in to season two of the Just for a Change podcast, powered by the Bertha Center for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship. If you're curious about what innovation is happening in Africa and the global south, and who the movers and shakers behind these initiatives are, then make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes and the launch of season three coming soon.